Well, good morning. My name is Harry Strauss. I'm part of the pastoral team. And today we want to talk about love based on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In contrast to love, the whole notion of a hardness of heart could take expression in a number of different ways, including a coldness of heart in how we relate to other people. Or simply put, the absence of love in one's life. Years ago, I heard a band by the name of uh, Pink Martini uh, play at the jazz festival. The band is composed of nine male musicians, fronted primarily by one lead female singer, China Forbes. Outstanding music. Some of their music is actually done in foreign languages, giving them a very international feel. So a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to one of their songs, Just Viadiana Mio Bambino. I butchered the, la- the title, I'm sure. A song that is actually done in English, so the title would suggest otherwise. It's a song about love with a connection to two countries, Russia and Italy. Reality is that the meaning of the song is somewhat obscure. I downloaded the lyrics only to remain somewhat puzzled by the song. But there's a phrase within it that captured my attention, and it is this. The Kremlin of your heart. Which could connect with the Russian connection with the song, but could also perhaps be interpreted to mean the coldness or the harshness of one's heart. In other words, the absence of love in a person's heart. For me, it was a helpful metaphor in describing what I, and maybe some of you as well, sometimes are like. We aren't always loving. We are not always patient, are we? We're not always kind. We're not always attuned to honoring other people. And sometimes, quite frankly, I get ticked off. I get angry at people or circumstances. Truth be known, my heart can sometimes be crusty and hard. Or in other words, there is this, if I'm interpreting the song right, the Kremlin, the coldness, the crustiness of my own heart. Now, that's not an overly encouraging introduction to the sermon. I, I fully recognize that. But, but let's flip it in a different direction, and there is really good news. A, a week ago, my wife and I, Judy over here, we attended the Women's Journey of Faith Conference in Saskatoon. Friday night, just Friday night for me. So there I was, one of the few men in this auditorium filled with 1,700 women, So I was invited to take in one of the sessions largely because of an advisory role with Women's Journey of Faith. The speaker, Dr. Caroline Leaf, spoke about our minds, our thoughts, and the impact we constantly have on our brains by way of our thinking. Fascinating material. Read one of her books this past week, Switching on Your Brains. Her main point is we can allow our minds to be filled with toxic thoughts. Negativity, criticism, blaming, anger, victim mentality, and the list could go on. 
thereby negatively impacting the health of our brains. Or we can choose a more positive way of thinking, which includes getting in touch with how we are or were originally wired by God. And here's the encouraging piece of news that caught my attention. She had this one little line that she used a few times that Friday night. She said, we are wired for love. God, when he created us, he wired us for love. And our natural disposition is, or should be, or could be, is one of relating to others in a spirit of love. So, our text today is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, known as the love chapter of the Bible. We'll look at these verses here and what they have to say about love, doing so from the understanding that we are already wired for love by God. And if so, then maybe the Kremlin of the heart can be challenged. That we find ourselves more frequently defaulting to the very way in which God has wired us. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is only 13 verses long. It divides into three sections. And so we'll look at each section at a time. And with each up front, we'll provide a summary statement tying in with this idea that we are wired by God for love. So verses 1 to 3. We'll read first verse as uh, first verse number 1. But the summary statement here, first of all, is we are, yes, we are wired for love, but we are wired to know that love supersedes all. Verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. We're in a sermon series on spiritual gifts looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. And this chapter on love was included as part of the overall discussion on spiritual gifts. The discussion actually goes on right through to chapter 14. The text here, verses 1 to 3, suggests that love supersedes all spiritual gifts. But it would be totally appropriate, I think, to say also that love supersedes all. That's the summary statement. Yes, we're wired for love. But as we look at these three verses right here, we are also aware of the fact that love supersedes all. So in verse 1, again, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, what are tongues? A prayer language. Not necessarily understandable to others where the Spirit of God moves in a person with utterances too deep for words. A genuine, legitimate expression, manifestation of tongues is a very spirit-immediate expression with the Spirit of God praying through a person. One could say that it is a divinely blessed moment for the one praying in tongues. Quite unique, those of you that do pray in tongues or have prayed in tongues or have seen where other people are moved by the Spirit of God to pray in tongues it is a unique expression of the immediacy of the Spirit of God working through that person and praying through that person as they intercede. But, but, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, and I'm in the midst of this immensely profound spiritual expression with the Spirit of God flowing through my life, but I do not have love, 
I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I looked this week for a large set of cymbals, you know, one of those really large ones, and I was going to have someone right up here right now disturb this service for about 10 or 15 seconds with their clanging. It would have been annoying to you, and it would have been annoying to me. But the whole point is, the whole point is, one can be so immensely blessed by the Spirit of God with a flow of the Spirit of God through a person's life that they're praying in tongues. And if there's the absence of love, they are like a clanging symbol that is meaningless to everyone around them. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, what does the text say? This is not good for our self-esteem. I am nothing. Prophecy is the Spirit of God speaking through a person to another person or to a group of people with a specific word for a defined need or a specific opportunity. It is a spirit immediate expression of the presence of God. Genuine prophetic moments authored by the Spirit of God can arrest us, can stop us, and at times we can be frozen in our steps by the God moment. And equally, not only that, from the text we read, if I have a faith that can move mountains, never mind what mountains, it's talking about mountains, plural here. The Rocky Mountains, if I have faith to move the Rocky Mountains. I mean, I think it would be pretty impressive if I can move one mountain. But if I can move the Rocky Mountains, would there be a propensity for pride in a certain measure of, I'm pretty good, pretty impressive stuff. One could get puffed up with one's knowledge in the employment of some of these gifts. It's interesting that earlier in chapter 8, verse 1, which some would suggest is a summary line of the whole book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and certainly chapter 13 as well, that knowledge, this is the line 8.1, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And it's kind of like Paul is anticipating as he's writing 1 Corinthians, he's writing these people that he's going to talk about love more at greater extent when he gets to this chapter right here. But what does the Bible say about these gifts if exercised without love? It says, I am nothing. So if I have the gift of teaching that blesses people but do not have love, I am nothing. If I have the gift of leadership but do not have love, I am nothing. If I have the gift of healing that I can go and pray over someone and I don't have love, I am nothing. If I have the gift of wisdom that wows people but do not have love, I am nothing. Or the last one we could take, and we could work through all of the spiritual gifts this way, if I have the gift of generosity but do not have love, I am nothing. Verse 3 speaks picks up on the whole spirit of generosity. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that, that, I, that I may boast, but do not have love. I gain nothing. Give all I possess to the poor. St. Francis of Assisi did that. 
a rich young man who gave all he had to the poor, and then he himself lived a life of perpetual poverty, perhaps directed by Luke chapter 12, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Again, pretty impressive stuff. The testimony, at least to St. Francis, is of his whole life gave indication that his motives were totally genuine. But if giving to the cause of helping the poor is done to create a platform for boasting, as the text would suggest here, then the act of giving is worthless. Wrong motives suggests an equation. Sacrificial giving plus wrong motives equals zip. We gain nothing. And to get one's name on a plaque on the side of a building because of giving to the cause of the poor is totally appropriate if the motive is done right. But if the motive is done with, with the wrong, if the wrong motive is there in order for recognition, then the text says, I gain nothing. I, I don't want to be a noisy, clanging symbol. I don't want to be a nothing. And I don't want my life to be a zip. Without love, I say nothing, even though I may pray in tongues. Without love, I am nothing, even though I may have a prophetic faith to move mountains. And without love, I gain nothing, even though I may give all I possess to the poor. We are wired for love. And intuitively, we know that love supersedes all. And we know the priority of love. It's interesting, I read the biography or, yeah, the biography, official biography of Warren Buffett going back a number of years ago. And I have a quote, if you were to look at the sermon notes that are online or sermon notes at the counter there uh, for a small group uh, study questions, I have provided a quote from that very book. So here's one of the richest men in the world coming to the realization in the midst of all the money he owns, love is all important. And he doesn't use this very language that I'm using right here, but he basically is saying that love supersedes all. And he makes the point that it's critically important to love and in turn to receive love. And he makes the point also that in the absence of that, regardless of bank account size or success in life, life is a disaster if love isn't somehow there in someone's life. Love supersedes all. We are wired for love. And love supersedes all. Intuitively, we know that. 1 Corinthians 13 isn't saying something new to us. We already know this. We're wired for this. But what does that love look like? We'll look at uh, verses uh, 4 to 7 here. The summary line for these four, three few verses right here is that we are wired to know that love is very practical. Now, the text we're about to read is frequently used at weddings. Wedding services provide some of the most emotion-filled, happy moments known to humanity. So the bride is coming down the aisle, and uh, she might be crying. And if she's crying, then the mother is crying. And then... Because she's crying, and the mother's crying, and the father loses it up here. And emotion is all over the place. And in that service, then, we have the reading of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7, the verses that we'll read here in a moment. 
The interesting observation is this is a text with 15 verbs, all having to do with practical expressions of love. This is not a text that talks at all about emotions or feelings. It is a text that is so down to earth, a rubber hits the road type of passage filled with all kinds of practical expressions on what love love looks like. So let's read it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It certainly does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. We are wired for love, including a knowledge, intuitively, that love ultimately is very practical in nature. We're not going to look at all 15 verbs, but uh, we'll uh, identify some of them and make a few comments about them. The very first one is love is patient. Can you get more practical than that? Love is patient. As part of this, I looked up uh, statements from Hollywood and some of the best movies that have shown over the last 40 or 50 years um, about their love statements. And if humanity is wired for love, maybe there might be some gems of wisdom there as well. And I looked at about three or four listings about love, and as you can imagine, there were some quotes that were, well, just simply said, quite sappy. Uh, There were some that were also quite wacky. But there were some that were really good and and even honest as they're wrestling with this idea of what does love mean. So even on this one here, on patience. So here's Marilyn Monroe. So many of you would recognize the name. Some of you would not recognize the name, but she was a famous actress, uh, died at age 36 in the early 1960s, and um, a very troubled life in many different ways. But... uh, she reflects something about what she's looking for in love. And in a sense, she defines love by what she's looking for related to this whole matter of patience. She says, I'm selfish, impatient, and a little insecure. I make mistakes. I'm out of control and at times hard to handle. But if you can't handle me at my worst, then you sure don't deserve me at my best. So she's asking for others to love her with patience. And reality is that's what we all want, that as people relate to us, that there is a, a patience with us as they, they interact with us. Love is kind. Be kind, for everyone you know is facing or will soon be facing a great battle. Interesting, a number of years ago I read this book about preaching, and this preacher was talking in this chapter about some of the therapeutic value about preaching and care that can come through the ministry of preaching. But his comment was, on any given Sunday, when you stand up in, a group of, in front of a group of people, over 50% of those people are in some great battle. And it will vary in terms of the intensity. Uh, and the number that will vary depending on which congregation that you're in. But as we look over this congregation here, it may well be that well over 50% of you are in some significant burden or challenge or issue or health matter or financial matter that you're dealing with. 
be kind. Be kind. All kinds of issues that people are dealing with which calls for, because God has wired us for love. And at the same time, intuitively, to know that there needs to be the spirit of kindness. Love does not envy. Love does not dishonor others. In a marriage relationship, there needs to be an honoring, ongoing, when a husband and a wife are together or in a public setting. It is unsettling when a spouse takes a shot at the other spouse, especially publicly, thereby dishonoring one another and the inappropriateness of that. Love does not dishonor others, certainly not one spouse. Love is not self-seeking. Here's a quote from The Notebook. Those of you who watched the movie The Notebook, this is not sappy, but it could kind of get there a little bit. The best love is the kind that awakens the soul, that makes us reach for more, that plants the fire in our hearts and brings peace to our mind. That's what I hope to give you forever. <laughs> uh, we did watch the movie, and I can't remember exactly who might have said that, but, uh, but here, the person who said this is, is not just seeking for his or her own well-being, but the well-being of the person they love. That This is what I hope to give you forever. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. I know of a story here in the Christian community of a person, not in our church setting here, of a person being taken for a serious amount of money by another fellow believer. And yet, I sensed after they obviously had to work through it over a period of time and the angerness and the bitterness and the fighting with that, yet I sensed no lingering bitter bookkeeping by the person that had been taken for that money. The capacity to somehow let it go and not to keep record of wrongs. Love rejoices with the truth. Love does not delight in evil. Love protects. Love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Even Sylvester Stallone has something to say about love. (laughs) On this matter of persevering and hoping and trusting, Stallone talks about loyalty. He says love is absolute loyalty. People fade, looks fade, which is really critical in the Hollywood world that looks will fade, but loyalty never fades. You can depend so much on certain people. You can set your watch by them. And that's love, even if it doesn't seem very exciting. Sylvester Stallone, he did well. <laughs> and, and it's kind of like he connected with the tone and the spirit of 1 Corinthians. These few verses here, the practical nature of these few verses. We are wired for love and intuitively know and understand the very practical nature of love. Yes, there are emotions and feelings, but at the core of what love is, is this practical component Love is patient. Love is kind. Then you go on with a full list of 15 verses. And then the final few verses, we'll just read this and make a few comments on this. Verses 8 to 13. Uh, We are wired for love, and as a part of that, we are wired to know that love is ever abiding. Love never fails, in verse 8. By the way, the word love here is agape. Most of you have probably heard that word and are acquainted with that word, but agape, the Greek language, those of you not acquainted with this, the Greek language had different ways of saying love, at least three different ways. Agape is the highest form of love. 
It's sacrificial love. And anywhere you see the word love in 1 Corinthians 13, that's the word that's being used. Same word that's used in John 3, 16. For God so loved, agape, agape, agape. For God so loved the world, that's sacrificial love. That's the word that's used here. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And again, these are chapters about spiritual gifts. And this passage is actually moving in the direction of these few verses. We'll pick it up here where we were talking, moving in the direction of eternity, moving in the direction of heaven, where we will see Christ face to face. And so the comment is being made here, prophecies will cease. We won't need prophecy as a gift in heaven. We won't need tongues in heaven. Or where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Um, we would assume that there is knowledge in heaven, but I, I wonder if what it's talking about here, this whole passage, and even as we go into 1 Corinthians 14, talks about the priority of, of, no, uh, of prophecy. And it, our charismatic friends would probably interpret this line right here as a word of knowledge, a prophetic word of knowledge. Those prophetic words of knowledge, just like prophecies will see, they will also pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love will always be with us now and ongoing. The fruit of agape love will never cease. Prophecies will cease. Tongues will be stilled. Prophetic words of knowledge will no longer be needed. But love will remain. So now as we move to the conclusion, when I heard Dr. Caroline Leaf at the Women's Journey of Faith Conference say that we're wired for love, I was immediately encouraged because intuitively I am in sync, I should be in sync with the thought of 1 Corinthians 13. There's something about how we are created that will always pull us that way and that we will know that love supersedes all. And we know that love is very practical and we know that love abides and abides. But one additional thought that Dr. Leaf suggested was this. We have the option to choose. We can choose thinking and actions that embrace love, or we can choose to steer away from how God has wired us. Just because we're wired for love does not mean that there is an automatic and appropriate response in terms of how we love people. So the question as we go into the time of response is, what is our choosing inclination? As we go into the week and we interact with people, what will we choose? It could be a coldness, you know. It could be an indifference, you know. It could literally be this Kremlin of the heart. Or it can be love. And we make the choice. 